0: So, we are uh, in Genesis, and if you're uh, uh, just uh, stopping in this morning, I'll update you where we are. We've, this year and into the next, we are uh, working our way through the book of Romans and and the book of Genesis and in chunks. And uh, if you've never thought about it, those two books really are wonderful uh, conversation partners that, uh, when read together weave together for you the entire story of the Bible, Uh, not just in the characters and the facts, but what it means. And this morning we come to chapter 20 and 21 in the book of Genesis, and just uh, there on the text on page 10 of your worship folder, we'll pick up in chapter 20 and verse 14 and then finish Uh, in verse 14, chapter 21, which is right basically the middle chunk of these two chapters. So I just want to tell you where we're at. Last week, we were in Genesis 19 and saw the story of Lot and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And if if you don't remember who Lot is, Lot is Abraham's nephew who came with him and uh, Sarah from their home in Haran and came all the way to the promised land and Lot has been this figure who's in some ways in in the shadows of the story uh, until we get to chapter 13, he he pops up there and then pops up again in chapter 19 and he is, as we said last week, in the story as a contrast to Abraham and to the life of faith. And at the end of chapter 19 things don't end very well for Lot. And he actually fades out of the storyline. And the next thing we, we discover is that Abraham has journeyed away from the, the, the Jordan Valley, which is this area to the east of what we will discover later on as is, um, Israel. And uh, it was a very fertile area. And that's where Lot lived and, and Abraham was nearby, but he's now journeyed to the southern part of the Promised Land, the land of Canaan, more towards Egypt. But he's still in the land of Canaan. And uh, he encounters here Abimelech, uh, who he is a king of a city, of Gerar, which we'll read about. And it's a Philistine city. And I'll mention more about that, too, as we work our way through. But the main thing that I want you to know is that this story is building in, sus- in suspense. And finally, in chapter 21, we reach the climactic moment of Abraham's life so far. So I'm going to leave it at that, and we'll pick up in verse 14. And um, if you were one of those folks who either has a device or you brought a Bible with you, you might want to keep that handy because I'll, I'll refer to other parts in these chapters and if you want to be able to see that um, you won't be able to see it if you just have the worship folder but let me read for us here Uh, beginning chapter 20 verse 14 then abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to abraham and returned sarah his wife to him and abimelech said behold my land is before you dwell where it pleases you To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before every one you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And he said, and she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So just to orient you again, this is the book of Genesis. It's the first uh, book of Moses that he wrote to God's people as they were on their way from 400 years of slavery in Egypt to the Promised Land. And uh, I realize, you know, you read these stories, and we are very far removed, both in time and culture and practice, sensibilities. And so I think it's worth reminding us, why are these even relevant to us? And I think the linchpin for that question... Is always remembering to whom these stories were written. As I said, to the people of Israel on their way to the Promised Land. And when you look at the at the Book of Numbers, they they're they're wandering through a wilderness. In the ancient Near East, a wilderness is a little bit different than what we think of. A wilderness is a is a a desert region, a a region that is um, perhaps hostile in both environment and. Resources are limited. And what's fascinating is that the writer of the book of Hebrews likens our situation right now, the New Testament church, right now as a wilderness community. Just like the people of God journeying to the promised land. That's how the New Testament thinks of us. And if that's how the New Testament thinks of us, all of a sudden, these stories that were written for a people on the way become very significant and very important. And what that means for us is the common notion that the good news or the gospel is just a New Testament idea, that's not what the New Testament says, The New Testament actually teaches that God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. And therefore, Abraham's story is a good news story that leads us to Jesus. That's where we find ourselves again this morning as we come to chapters 20 to 21. As I said, Abraham has journeyed uh, away from the, the... The Jordan Valley where much of the previous chapters have taken place and he's in the southern part of the country we are now 25 years into the story of Abraham he was 75 years old when he God called him from his home to travel a great distance to this place he didn't know to people he didn't know with this promise that God would make him into a great people and through him through his offspring, he would bless the whole world. And yet, as we've seen, if you've been tracking with us at all, the big question from chapter 12 until we get to chapter 21 is, will God keep his promise? Will God be faithful to this world-changing promise through this one man and his family. And I, th- I wonder as we sit here this morning for you. This is a major touch point for us. Will God keep his promise to you? Perhaps, you know, if you have children, you've wondered, will God keep his promises to my children? Will God keep his promises to forgive? Will he really forgive me? Will he really take care of me? Especially when it feels like he's not. Will God actually make everything right? Or is this just some big hoax that we have all been duped into believing? That's the question that confronts us today. Again, will God keep his promises? And as we think about that, In terms of this story, there are two key ingredients of this promise. Without which this promise falls to the ground and is of no value to us. And those two ingredients are, Abraham needs a son. And not just any son, but a son with Sarah. And he needs a home. He needs land. He needs a place where his family can flourish And the peoples of the world can come and experience the blessings that God has promised. And so when we come to chapter 20 and 21, finally, the suspense of the story, we get an answer. But even this answer that we're going to see here is not without its own bumps. So I want us to see here the promise threatened, then the promise fulfilled, and then we'll finish with the promise experienced. So the promise threatened, fulfilled, and then experienced. What do I mean by the promise threatened? Well, if we were to look all at, at all of chapter 20, uh, and if you were reading Abraham's story in one sitting, you would, you would feel, oh, immediately I've heard this, some, something about this I've heard already. If you go back to Genesis chapter 12, when uh, Abraham was in the promised land, Uh, Early on, there was a famine. And in order to find food, he and Sarah and Lot went to Egypt. And when they were there, Abraham was terrified for his life because Sarah was beautiful. And he was convinced that if they found out that Sarah was Abraham's wife, they would kill him. And so Abraham said, Okay, here's the plan. I want you to tell everybody, wherever we go, that you're my sister. And the same thing happens here in this story. If you look in verse, well, you don't have this, but verse 13 in our passage, it says, When God caused me to wander, this is Abraham talking to Sarah, from my father's house, I said to her, to Sarah, This is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, He is my brother. This was a standard policy for Abraham of personal safety. And I think, you know, perhaps that's understandable. But here's the problem. If Abraham is to have a son, and God has promised to give him a son with Sarah, and she is taken into Abimelech's house, this king to become one of his wives, what happens? This promise that God has made is now in jeopardy. Abraham is jeopardizing the promise that God has made to him out of self preservation. And I, I don't want to pick on Abraham because I get it. Like, I. His strategy makes sense, but it does highlight for us what happens when even when things make sense to us, maybe to others, how those plans actually become, they jeopardize. They show forth our own lack of faith and trust in God's promises. Yet Abraham's Strategy here highlights his own struggle with, faith, with to, to trust God and his promises. But notice what God does. What God does in this story, right after, in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 20, when uh, Abraham and Sarah, they journey to Gerar, and Abraham says that she's my sister. Abimelech, he takes her into his house. But the very next verse and verse 3 reads but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him imagine this behold you are a dead man (laughs) because of the woman that you've taken God will not let his promises be jeopardized by our weakness of faith do you see that The suspense of this story is heightened because Abraham allows Sarah to be taken into Abimelech's home. And Abimelech, if we were to read this, does so with a clear conscience. And God recognizes it. But he comes to him and he says, listen, you are a dead man if you do not give this woman back to Abraham. What I want you to see is God uses Abraham's weak faith and even his cowardice on the one hand, and then the integrity of a Philistine king, Abimelech, to further his purposes. And notice how he does that. First of all, what does Abimelech do here in verse 15? He says to to Abraham when he discovers what's going on and has talked to Abraham, he says to Abraham, my land is before you. Go anywhere you want. Dwell where it pleases you. Do you know what that is? That's, that's a, a, a little bit of a glimpse of God keeping his promise to Abraham to give him this land. And if you know anything about the story of the Old Testament, the Philistines are not nice people. Goliath was a Philistine. The Philistines were one of the greatest enemies of God's people. And here, God is using this relationship, this relationship philistine king to give abraham a home but also he uses this philistine king to teach us to show us through this story the innocence of sarah notice what he says here in verse 16 he says to sarah i've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver it is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you and before everyone you are vindicated Why is this chapter in the Bible? God has put this chapter in the Bible to show us, to prepare us for chapter 21. That this son that is born to Abraham and Sarah is their son. The son of promise. And he uses this cowardice, uh, faithless Abraham and this philistine king and his integrity to prepare us and he teaches us that god's promise won't be achieved by human effort everything about chapter 20 doesn't put abraham in the greatest light but what it shows is god's commitment to keep his promise regardless of the folly of his people God must keep and will keep his promise. So that's the promise threatened. But what about the promise fulfilled? Let's look in chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. Here's what I want you to see at the very beginning here. It's astounding to me that only seven verses are given to the birth of Isaac. Because we've been waiting since chapter 12 for this moment Abraham and Sarah had been waiting for 25 years for this moment. But what I want you to see most of all is what's included in this very first verses 1 and 2. Listen. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord said and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. God keeps his word. Notice verse 1 and 2. As he had said. As he had promised. As he had spoken. The good news of this story, this promise fulfilled, is all about God keeping his word. It's not about Abraham and Sarah. And as we'll see, it's not about Hagar and Ishmael. It's about God keeping his word. Now, if we were to look back, what is this word, this promise that he's kept? Well, in chapter 17, God says to Abraham, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. In verse 21, I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. A year ago in the story, God spoke that to Abraham. And then chapter 18, verse 10, God says, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. God has kept his promise. And then notice how does Abraham respond? He responds in faithful obedience. Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, Isaac. Just as God said, you will call him Isaac. And then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God commanded him. In chapter 17, when God makes his covenant with Abraham, he says, "You you shall circumcise your son on the eighth day. Now, what is going on here? This is an echo of what we looked at when we looked at chapter 17. God initiates. He makes the first move. He makes promises. He keeps his promises. And then he calls sinners to respond in faith. To follow him. To trust him. Not in order to get him to be faithful. Or to get him to be gracious. But because he's already been gracious. And here, Genesis 17, God's promise to give him a son. And God's command to Abraham to take upon himself and his children the sign of this promise comes to pass. For this promised son. Here the promise is fulfilled. God gives Abraham and Sarah this son. But not only remember the two ingredients here of an offspring but also of land. The the last part of chapter 21 is again an encounter with Abimelech. Where again we see God keeping his promise to give Abraham land, a home. He enters into a covenant with Abimelech and makes his home in Beersheba and This chapter ends, chapter 21, with Abraham journeying in the land of the Philistines for many days. It's not the fulfillment of this promise of the promised land, but we're seeing it come to pass. Now, what I want you to see in this promise fulfilled is that despite how things look, or how they did look, God has continued to carry out and keep His promise. Now think again for a moment. Who's this written for? It's written for God's people on their way home. And Abraham's story is the story of a man and a woman, a family, whose lives are full of circumstances and questions and heartache and wondering, will God get us home? Will God be faithful? Imagine God's people in the wilderness between Egypt and an unknown home reading this story. They're part of this story. You here, me, us today. You are part of this story. This is the promise fulfilled, but what about the promise experienced? Notice what God does here. Particularly with Sarah. Notice in verse six and seven, what does Sarah say? God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Remember, Abraham's hundred years old. Sarah's ninety-nine years old. This whole story is a picture of human inadequacy, of human frailty, and absolute divine sheer grace. How does Sarah experience this promise? Well, the key is in this idea of laughter. It's what Isaac's name is about, laughter. Where have we seen laughter occur in the story already? Well, we have to go back to Genesis chapter 18 when God had come to Abraham and to Sarah and said, at this time next year, you'll have a son. And Sarah was listening. And what does the story tell us? Sarah laughed to herself. Sarah laughed to herself and said, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Now, you kind of have to put yourself in her shoes she's in her 90s and she hears god say you're going to have a child a year from now this is a this is a disbelieving snicker every one of us would respond this way it's not like we can look at sarah and be like i wouldn't have laughed right i mean this is a joke this is disbelieving, snickering. And yet, what happens? Verse 6 God has made laughter for me. To experience the promise of God is to experience God deconstructing your disbelief. Your snickering laughs that perhaps no one hears but are deeply resident in your heart. Where you hear what we're reading and you hear the story and you think, I've heard this. Perhaps you've grown up in the church. You've heard what I've said many times. And if you're honest, you're snickering right now. To experience the good news is to experience God turning your snickering disbelief into joyful laughter. Think about this for a moment. God deconstructs our disbelief by keeping his word. Now, there are, so there are all kinds of ways that we can deal with our questions and our doubts and our, our, our objections to the faith. But I want you to see how God does that. God deconstructs and dismantles and transforms Sarah and Abraham's snickering disbelief by being faithful to his word. Not by condemning Abraham and Sarah or ridiculing them or casting them off. He bears patiently with them and he is faithful to the point where he transforms their snickering disbelief into joyful laughter. Now, how does God keep his word? Well, this is where the story of Hagar and Ishmael again appears. If we were to look at length here in uh, chapter 21 verses 9 through 21, it's all again about Hagar and Ishmael. Very similar to what we encountered earlier when uh, Sarah hatched this plan in chapter 16 uh, to give Hagar to Abraham in order to have a son by her maidservant. And what I want you to remember or to know about this story, because we're only just going to skim over it, is I want you to think about how does this story operate and function in the whole story of the Bible, not just right here. It's why we read from Galatians 4 earlier. And the most simplest way to help us to understand this is that there is a contrast between Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac is the son through promise. Ishmael is the son through the flesh. And in the Bible, those are two totally different ways of salvation. The story of Hagar and Ishmael, really, at Sarah's, uh, because of Sarah at her scheming, is is an illustration of when we think we know better than God and we can do an end run around His promise because we're wiser, smarter, and more intelligent, and we're going to make what God promised actually happen because He isn't coming through. That is a child, according to the flesh. Isaac is the child through promise. It is the difference between sheer grace and human self-salvation strategies, human works, human efforts that will always come up short. God keeps his word by sheer grace, not because we somehow seal the deal for him, the point that I want you to see here is that we don't enjoy God's grace by working for it, which is what the story of Hagar and Ishmael illustrates. We experience God's grace simply by receiving it by faith as a sheer gift. That's the story of Isaac. That's the, the gift of the son by promise. Now, what's really fascinating is this whole story is about Isaac and Abraham and Sarah's need for a son, for this promise of God to come to fruition and for his blessing to reach the whole world. But what's profound is that when we get to the New Testament, the blessing of God is experienced only through this promised son, Isaac. And yet what we discover is when the Apostle Paul writes about this very story in Galatians chapter 3, he says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to offsprings, plural. Referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. Now, what we're supposed to see then in this whole story... This promise of God through Abraham and Sarah has at its farthest perspective the offspring, the son of promise is Jesus. He is the one to whom God has promised through whom to bless the whole world. So you remember how I said that Abraham's story is a good news story that leads to Jesus? This is it. This is where it leads. That Jesus is the promised son. Now what that means is that the gift of the son is how our snickering disbelief can be turned into joyful laughter. You see, the same remedy to our skittish, skeptical hearts The same remedy that Abraham and Sarah need is the same remedy that we need. It's the promised son. How can you today deal with what you're really like and your snickering disbelief? It's by seeing how God has kept his word to you in sending his beloved son in whom he is well pleased, the son he has promised to send. To do for you and for me what we could never do for ourselves. Paul puts it again this way in Galatians 4 when he says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive what? Adoption as sons. You see, the good news of Abraham's story for us is that the promised son has come so that you and I might be welcomed in as sons and daughters. And not only that, in him we are invited into and are promised a home. We are promised a home. It's called the new heavens and the new earth. One day where there will be no more weeping, no more sorrow, no more tears. There will be no more sin. And perhaps, for most of us, the most encouraging, there will be no more snickering disbelief. Your life will be shot through with joy and wonder and praise and delight and laughter. Because this good news is true. Because God has kept his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for this story that is perhaps so painfully honest and and transparent uh, and uh, and, uh, diagnostic of our own lives, it can be really uncomfortable. And yet at the very same time, it 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 is surrounded with your faithfulness, your commitment to keep your word and proof you do keep your word. And so, Father, as we sit here today, however this story strikes us, we ask that by your spirit, the promised son, the Lord Jesus, would take in his hands these words and by his spirit, cause them to turn our lives into joyful laughter. Would you please do that? For it's in his name we pray, amen. Amen.